Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com. Hello, this is Sian Hansen, and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. I'm here with Robin Kermode. Hello. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the perfect pitch. How do you make your best pitch? You've got the meeting, you're going in, how are you going to make it go as well as possible? Well, the first thing is to try not calling it a pitch, funnily enough. <laughs> and I remember when I was a young actor, I just left drama college and my agent rang me up and she said, I have a meeting with you with the Walt Disney Company. And I thought, well, this is amazing. On day one, here I am going into Walt Disney. So I said to her, this is fantastic. I've got an audition on day one for Walt Disney. And she said, no, Robin, it's not an audition. I said, well, it is an audition. It's an interview. It's an audition. And she said, it may be, but I want you to think of it as a meeting. And if you think of it as a meeting, you don't get so nervous. And also, you tend not to try to sell. Because the trouble is, if you go in trying to sell yourself, you're going to end up looking a bit desperate. So first of all, try not to think of it as a pitch. So it's more of a conversation. You should be making your plans and your pitch book around a conversation. Yes, if you design it that way, it's much more likely to be a conversation when you actually have it. And of course, people will only buy your product if in some way it answers a need or a want that they have. So unless you're unscrupulous, you're not selling them something they don't actually need or want. On the other hand, you could be making a pitch to sell them something or to introduce them to something that they never known existed before. Or you could create a want, couldn't you, like in a luxury product? Of course. But once the want is there, you don't have to sell a want because a want is a want (laughs) and a need is a need. (laughs) Right. I've got it. You're answering a need. And in fact, if you think of the early days of the internet, if you were, say, a family plumbing business and you had an early website, it would probably have said, we're an amazing company. We've been going a long time. We're a family business. This is what our customers say about us, this kind of thing. But you don't generally go to a plumber's website to read how brilliant they are. You go there to know that if you have water coming through the ceiling or your tap is broken, that they're the people to fix it. So what websites do now is what they call problem solution based. So if you now go to a plumber's website, it would probably say, if you've got a leaky tap, click here. If you have water pouring through the ceiling, click here. (laughs) here. And you click and hopefully they'll sort you out. So a pitch is actually a conversation and it should be designed around meeting a need that you reveal. Ideally, yes. Ideally. So before we actually get into the meeting and talk about the pitch book or the PowerPoint, I've always found the initial conversation, the small talk and the conversion into the actual conversation quite awkward. Can you give some advice about that? Well, often what happens is you meet somebody, say, from the lift, and then you have to have a little bit of a conversation along the corridor before you get into the meeting room. So that conversation tends to be fairly generic, unless you know them well. So it's going to be things like, how was your journey? How was your day going? This kind of thing. Or how's the family? If you know them, you then have to make a decision as to when you switch from that into business mode. Well, the idea is it shouldn't really be a switch. It should feel completely seamless. And the way to do that is to make sure that in your planning, your opening sentence, your opening thoughts around your pitch or conversation 
is written in conversational language. But people tend to go straight to their document, maybe their PowerPoint or their brochure, and they change their personality, their voice changes, because they go into presentation mode. And so we must make it look seamless that the conversation just continues and it's organic. It's what it should feel like. Oh, so it's the words you open with using your pitch deck. And you can plan those in advance. Tell me about the handout then, whatever it is, a PowerPoint, a brochure, a book, Mm -hmm. something on the screen. Do you hand it out straight away or, or are you asking the other side questions first? How does it work? Well, you're absolutely right. If you hand the book out straight away, you miss a really vital opportunity. And the opportunity is to ask questions because the more they tell you. What, before you pitch? Yes, the more they tell you before you pitch, the more you can tailor the pitch for them. For example, I was in a meeting a few years ago and a client said to me, okay, pitch yourself. So I said to him, do you know what? I wouldn't pitch blind. I don't think you would either. So I said, why don't you tell me what your need is? And then I'll be really honest and I'll tell you if I can help you. And if I can help you, then it's a win-win. So in a sense, it wasn't a sale. It wasn't a pitch. It was a conversation in the end. But I had to kind of engineer that. Right. So if you are going to ask some questions before you go into your pitch, what sort of questions would you ask them? Before I move into the meat of the conversation, the kind of questions that I would ask would be, have you worked with somebody similar to me before? Have you used a similar product before? I get an an idea as to the kind of areas that they work in. Yes, and whether they're familiar with the service. Or or even the the area of service, Mm. really. It will also give me an idea about their pricing and all sorts of things like that and what their expectations are. Mm. The other thing I would do during this process I would be very clear about listening to their replies. I mean, obviously, we listen to their replies. But what I mean is I listen to the specific words they use in the replies. Oh, interesting. And I try to repeat those words back to them. So if they say, for example, we have an urgent need for something, Mm. later on in the pitch, I can say, of course, because I appreciate you have an urgent need for this, then I would do that. Reinforcing. Yes. And if they say we need something that is completely different, to anything else on the market, then it means that later on I can say, well, it's interesting because a lot of our clients would say this is completely different. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so we've moved from the small talk into the meeting in a conversational way. What do you do with this handout, whatever form it takes? The trouble is, if you give the handout too early, people start flipping through it. And then eyes are down. (laughs) Eyes are down. And you now have a choice. Do you say to them, actually, can you just listen to me for a second and stop reading? But then you're responsible for them reading because you handed it out in the first place. So if you do hand it out, we have to find some way to keep them on the same page that we're on. Yes. And that's probably about being very specific about something on a particular page. So it would be if we could look at page three, the bottom left hand corner in red, and you're directing them to them rather like a magician always tells you where to look. Right. Exactly that. I think that's one way of holding them. Of course, you can have the choice of handing it out or not. But what about if it's on a screen? Are you sitting? Are you standing? Well, here's the next issue. Do we sit or do we stand? Even if it's on a screen in a small boardroom, quite often you can present sitting down using the screen, using a clicker, or you can stand. And now this is an interesting dynamic here, because if you stand, what you're doing is you're saying, my status is slightly higher than yours temporarily, but it's Mm. slightly higher. And therefore, the relationship now between you, the conversation between you turns into parent, child, teacher, pupil. And the trouble is that most people, when they present, for some reason, get louder. They stand up and get louder. So if you stand up, 
and get louder, you're doubling the unequal status. The status used to be equal when you were all sitting down. You stand up, the status goes in your favour. You get louder, it goes even more in your (laughs) favour. And now suddenly it sounds like you're lecturing them. Yes. And we're getting away now from a conversation. So if you do want to stand, I would say counterintuitively, go a little bit quieter because you're trying to say, although I'm standing, I'm just having a conversation. Right. Interesting. Funny enough, I saw a speaker once at a big conference who said to the audience, now I've got a video I want you to watch, a really important video, so just, just have a look at this. He played the video, and then as the audience were watching the video, he was standing on the stage and started texting, looking at his phone. He wasn't watching the video with us. Oh. So if you're going to say to a potential client, have a look at a video of what our clients say about us, or have a look at how the product works. Yes. You're showing them a video. Uh, on a video. You have to look at it at the same time that they do, even though you've seen it a hundred times before. Right. You have to see it with them through their eyes. So similarly, don't be sitting there watching a screen that they can't see. No, because we're trying to make this like we're all inclusive, we're all in this together. Mm, Makes a lot of sense. So here's the big one for me. You're making your your pitch or you're having this conversation, but actually you're doing all the talking for about 10, 15 minutes while you're telling them about your product and repeating words back to them and you're trying to meet their needs and they drift off. What do you do to stop them drifting off? <laughs> well, one of the interesting ways of bringing an audience back, if you feel you're losing them, is to stop talking. <laughs> it's true. You just did it. I just did it. Because what happens is we get used to a repetitive cycle of sound, particularly if somebody has a fairly even flat voice. Yeah. If you stop talking, it's rather like when you're back at school. If a teacher stops talking, you suddenly come back in the room and say, are they, are they watching me? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's one way of doing it. And the other way, I think, is to constantly check in with them with your eye contact that they are with you. And if you sense they're not, I think you can ask them a question saying, is this what you were expecting? Did you know this product could do this? Do You could ask a question to engage them at some point if you feel you're losing them. Right. And then you gather together more intel. Let's say part of the pitch is handing them your product, your new product, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, a new valve or it's a new medical device or it's um, a new luxury face cream. How do you hand around the product? How do you actually show it to them? Well, a lot of products, if they're retail products, they're tactile. So the box will be tactile and hopefully look nice. If it's a valve, it's probably not particularly tactile. It's a valve. It's (laughs) It's just heavy. But but on the other hand, an engineer might well want to have a look at the valve and, and feel it. But I think the way that you unbox the product, the way that you put the product on the table, obviously you're not going to throw the box on the table, but if you just place it on the table, it doesn't have the same effect as you reverently putting it down as if it's almost like the crown jewels because it just makes a customer go, wow, this feels great. The way that you hold a product can actually make a difference. Do you know, it reminds me of a time where I was visiting a company that was making a very small drone and it was highly secretive. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, can I see the prototype? And he said, yes, but we're going to have to go through a locked door. And he took me through the locked door and then he opened a little steel suitcase and in there nestled in some foam was this prototype that I felt so special of course, uh, because this was a very unique product. And he um, probably could have had that with him. Sitting S- on the sitting table. On the, or sitting on the floor, brought the briefcase yeah. up and opened it straight away, but it wouldn't yeah. have had the same It doesn't the have same the same impact. Yes, no. I have to say it worked on me. <laughs> yeah. It worked on me. So let's say we're coming to the end of our pitch and you can see that, you know, you've been allocated a certain amount of time and now it's coming up to the end. How would you end? What are your tips for ending? Before you ask somebody whether they want to go ahead get them in the right frame of mind and one of the simple ways of doing that this does work is to ask them three questions of which the answer is yes 
So the very act of them saying yes three times to anything. You know, have you had this boardroom long? Yes. Did you choose the colour? Yes. But you have to know yes is the answer. Yeah. And if yes is the answer three times, it produces serotonin in the brain. And then when you ask them if you want to go ahead with the product, they're much more likely to say yes. It's kind of auto-suggestion. Yes, it goes back to this conversation. Make sure that it isn't such a cold ending, Mm. that you've kept the questions flowing, Mm -hmm. making sure they contribute to the discussion. And so when you get to the point of ending, you can work in these questions where the answer is yes. You can. One of my favourite things to do towards the end of a pitch conversation is to use third-party referral. So rather than you saying, we're really good, say, our clients love the fact that the product does this. Our client love the fact that our customer service is ongoing. Our clients keep coming back to us because. Oh, right. okay. So rather than you having to say, we're really good, the clients essentially, although they're not in the room, have done that for you. Right. Got it. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you about. It's a bit off base, but I was always told in a really good pitch, you make it seem like it was their idea originally. Well, of course. <laughs> that's, and, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the golden bullet. Is it? <laughs> is it? So you would try and work that in as well? If you can. It's interesting. If you had to buy a new washing machine or television set, for example, and you go and buy it, and you don't want to come home at the end of the day and say to your partner, I was sold this. I was sold this television set. You want to say, I chose it. You want to feel like you chose it. So it was your idea. Yes. Now, a good salesperson, of course, will direct you to where they want you to go. But you want to feel like it's your decision. Always, it must be your decision to do it. Yes. And so often what a lot of people do is, for example, on pricing, people will give three options of which one is absolutely terrible. One is far too high and one is just about right. And that's the one they're always going to go to. But you give them a choice and they feel they've chosen the best one. Sounds like a wine list in a restaurant, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I think you're telling me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not going for the big sale. You're not going for the all or nothing. Well, it depends on the cycle of a relationship with the client. It's often wise the first time not to oversell. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's even better to say, I don't think you need this at the moment. But when you do need it, and these are the circumstances in which you would need it, then feel free to come back to me. Now, what happens then is they probably come back to you and buy the entire catalogue <laughs> because they trust you. If you sell them something they don't want at the beginning, they'll never come back. So I suppose if I was to wrap all this up into one sentence, I would say, ultimately, it's not a pitch, it's a conversation. Mm -hmm. But don't sell them something they don't want. Got it. What you're building here is a connection with another human being. It sounds like if you don't make that connection, when you're in the room with them, no matter how many selling techniques you've been taught or deployed, you're not going to sell anything. You're not. And I'm not here to teach people to sell. There are many universities and courses all over the world that teach people to sell. The bit that I concentrate on and the bit that I work on with my clients is the word that you just use, the word connection. And if you really connect with somebody, they will probably come back. Robin, that's another fascinating discussion. It's revealed the complexity of making the perfect pitch. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermer.com.